Ghosts of Christmas Presents, a seasonal story, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. Chapter 19 Deep in the darkness of the nonsense drawer there is a thin singing. Lodged on the tops of toothpicks, disembodied heads of Lego minifigs and toy soldiers are keening their scraps of history to the night. And as they sing, they burn, twitching anxious blue flames. The fire pops and sparks, the voices rise and fall, and the night is full of their crying, high and weird. And alone. The valley they stand in is empty. The creatures that brought them here, the court of the Goblin King marching to the meeting of the clans, are scattered and gone. And so they sing to no one, burning out the last of their memories in the silent dark. Elsewhere in the night, however, there is movement. Marcus Flavius Aquila, tribune of the 20th Legion, is leading his raiding party through the shadows with their captured prize, Mr. Benedict Nail. There is none of the boisterous marching, the lights and noise and commotion of the Goblin King's train. This little group, most of them only shapes Benedict can barely discern in the darkness, moves swift and silent, the only noise, the legionary occasionally pointing out to Benedict obstructions in the path. At one point they stop at some signal Benedict does not notice and wait, breathless in the shadows, until something else Benedict fails to register happens, or perhaps does not happen, and they set off again. Benedict begins to realise that they are travelling away from the front of the drawer and away, he realises with some relief, from the small fires of the hill forts atop the piles of cable. But now they are penetrating the true jungle of nonsense, the small hills and valleys giving way to thickets of leads and freezer bag ties that they must pick through carefully and patiently, all the while trying to make as little noise as possible. And then, when they are entirely ensnared by wires and sunk in impenetrable darkness, Marcus Flavius Aquila stops. They stand for a long moment in silence, listening to nothing that Benedict can hear. Ahead of them, the way is completely blocked by a solid tangle of phone charger cable. But then Marcus speaks, low but clear, Hick up here! And a sliver of light appears between two cables. Then it grows, a chink, a gap, a window, a door. A door into the hill, bright and strange. And enter, says Marcus, ushering Benedict through into the light. Welcome, Benedict, says Marcus as they step through. Welcome to our refuge, home and happy spot. Our castle under the hill, our glory, our Camelot. Benedict gazes about him in wonder. After their unnerving rush through the jungle of discarded technology outside, he certainly wasn't expecting to find this at the end of it. He is under, he realises, a teacup. It is upside down, however, so that the inside of the cup forms a high dome above them. A large chip has been hacked out of the lip, which made the door through which they passed. The most unexpected thing is that the inside of the cup is covered in some kind of black crystal. Glitter, he realises. He cannot for the life of him think why or remember how he came to own such a thing. Perhaps it was meant to have some kind of light in it, a candle perhaps, because that's what it has now. Around the edge of the dome are long curved tables forming an almost circle and at the table sit all manner of strange oddments. A tufty club badge, a tiny plastic Star Wars figurine, 
an origami crab, a broken key ring from Monkey World with a picture of a capuchin called Keith, and all of them are talking cheerfully, convivially, and as they talk, one after another, they burst into cheerful, convivial flames, each at one time dwindling and listening, and then speaking and twinkling in their turn, and the great glittering dome above them dances and shimmers in its high depths with their fire, sparkling with beauty. He cannot now remember most of the things that he has seen in his life, but Benedict feels sure that this must be one of the most wonderful. Come, says Marcus, let us sit, talk and make merry, for this season is Christmas and all should be glory. I don't understand, says Benedict, following him across the floor of the dome, weaving between the crowds to a seat at one of the tables. What is this place? What's going on? This drawer is the place of the lost broken things, says Marcus, sitting down, of the monstrous memories, petty tyrant kings. It needed some hope, some happy spark, so I am building my legions to bring light to the dark. Here we do not hoard, we do not rule, we do not fear. Here we share, and in the eyes of others see ourselves made dear. Well, it's splendid, quite splendid, says Benedict, looking away, hoping the legionary won't guess the lie he is about to tell. But I have nothing to share. No memories left. They took it all from me in the library. I've got nothing but scraps left, half-remembered things. All I really know is that I'm supposed to find a witch. I knew this island once, says Marcus, when all was dark. Legions gone, cities ruined and cold in every hearth. I swore then that I would strive to keep in Britain that flame alive, that flame of justice, honour, right to take up arms against the night. Besides, this is now Christmas, a time of great deeds, and what could be greater than to aid one in need? Benedict Nail, you are, who owns this drawer? All these things we haunt are yours. All these things you keep, keep us. I think we should return that trust. My duty and my honour demand no less. We shall help you find your witch and fulfil your quest. And in that moment, full of wonder and gratitude, Benedict Nail almost told his last memory, almost told Marcus Flavius Aquila what he knew of him and why he was here. But if he tells it, what then? What becomes of him? Would he just disappear like these ghosts? or become nothing but an empty shell of a thing to be haunted by someone else? What would he be? Never want to think much of his life, Benedict Nail finds that he misses it. He can see himself, the shape of his personality, but dimly, like a landscape travelled at night. He can tell from the fall of his feet the shape of the land, but he cannot see hill or dale or tree or rock. The tendency of the thing is there, but not the why. That last memory is his last why, his last explanation for why he might be who he is. And he suddenly understands all these chattering objects around him, why they cling on to these broken and discarded things, why they try so hard to persist. How strange to find that these things he had thrown away, had never given another thought to, all had meaning that all these little objects that might be the next moment swept away in an ashamed tidying 
were just as significant as him. Each of these lost and forgotten ghosts had at least one tiny story, one shred of memory that shone, shone forever in the darkness of history. You have been listening to The Ghosts of Christmas Presents, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. The music is The Path of the Goblin King by Kevin MacLeod of filmmusic.io and our illustrations are by Jamie Lenman. You can find more of our stories at christmasstories.co.uk or wherever you found this podcast and we'd be grateful if you could rate and review us while you're there as well. If you're feeling really generous, we now have a Patreon at patreon.com slash christmasstories where a subscription will get you versions of this story without all these annoying credits and lots of other exclusive material. But all we really want you to do is to listen to the next instalment of The Ghosts of Christmas Presents. (laughs) 